In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast heard in over 100 countries. Actually, I think we're getting close to over 150 countries. Certainly between all our OGGN podcasts, and you can discover all 15 of them at OGGN.com, we are heard in every country in the world. We are proud to be the world's leading oil and gas podcast network, but this pride is only made possible by you, the listener. And so we really do appreciate you. This show is sponsored by KnowledgeVine, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. KnowledgeVine is committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. KnowledgeVine, the evolution of human performance. Learn more at KnowledgeVine.com. And today we continue our discussion with KnowledgeVine's CEO and CFO, respectively, David Bowman and David Sowers. So let's pick up part two of this interview. Okay, so this is all very interesting, all very fascinating, but my brain's doing, well, this is a podcast, you can't see my hand motions, you know, but, you know, my brain's about to, you know, the balloon's got too much air in it, it's about to pop. You guys have put together a system where, People can get this inside their brains. And if I understand it correctly, back to nuclear and Department of Energy, they actually came up with a formula. They called it RE, which stood for reduce error, I believe, mm -hmm. plus MC, which is managed MD. controls. Uh, defenses. MD, yeah. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yes. And then that would create that. And so you guys adapted that to what you call your remedy system, right? Yes, yeah. So the big missing piece in that is, so the Department of Energy did come out, they have a human performance handbook that's available and it goes through tools and traps and the principles of human performance and all those things. And it's really, really good for a nuclear power plant that has had human performance for the last 40 years as a reminder, as a reference, as a, you know, refresher. We're already there, you know, they're already at, on third base, you know, ready to come home. But for these organizations that are wanting to stand it up, this is change. This is trying to, you know, shift the culture. Nuclear power has the culture established and they just use this as a guide. So we found this out early on to say, we're going to take this guide, this DOE handbook on human performance and try to bring it to other organizations. That's missing a critical piece, which is that managing that risk, managing the risk found in these organizations. So our formula is remedy, which borrows two elements from, you know, classical human performance, which is reduce errors, which is, you can think of it as the individual, that action that triggered the event, you know, grabbing the wrong switch, opening the wrong valve. This is where I use tools. I'm going to use stop, think, act, review yeah. for self-checking. I'm going to use a peer check. I'm going to do what I can to make sure I don't add fuel to the fire. I'm going to do everything I can to not make the mistake yeah. or have the error. That's how human performance addresses that RE put spot is giving the individual, the tools and methodologies to actually make sure that they have greater situational awareness and that their head and their hands are in the same space. So they're taking the right actions and not having these, you know, lapses in judgment or making those types of errors. So that's the RE part. The M 
is understanding how we are managing risk, how we are managing this change within the organization. So there's components within our process that help with you know basic change management and identifying where this risk is. For from le- coaching and yeah, coaching, coaching leadership, and all those things. And then air defenses, the same as managing defenses. So it's just your air defenses. And your air defenses are things like good training, good procedures, you know, having the right barriers in place, things like that, that help set up the worker for success instead of giving the worker a bunch of things to work around and, and try to figure finding out. your latent organizational weaknesses. Yeah, right? Right. I think exactly. about it this way too. The people that do the work have the answers. I mean, a lot of times we may think, you know, in a boardroom, this is the way we ought to make these procedures work. But if we ask the people that actually do the work, sometimes they have better ways to do it. Well, they got a thing called rewarding for shortcuts, but there's other ways to do things. And if you ask them for that feedback, they'll give it to you, you know, and you can actually get way better processes by doing that. So the air defense strategy is looking for where are our gaps? What are the things that aren't working? Asking the question, why is this happening from a behavioral perspective that you saw through coaching? And then taking that feedback from the people that are doing the work to say, I can't physically do this thing you're asking me to do. You know, or I won't do it because it doesn't make any sense, or I don't understand it because I need better training. So the air defenses is really looking at what's broken in the organization, going after those things. And then finally, you end up with the why, and I'll let you explain the why for the yield. that's your yield. Your yield is a more resilient organization, executives that are better informed because they're getting feedback from, I'd say, lower levels, from the workers. Then you have these empowered leaders, these leaders that aren't just pointing out problems and hoping something gets done with it, but they're empowered to make these changes to improve these conditions in the field. Yeah. We trust that they're going to do the right thing because they understand what the right thing is. Now it's not just trying to put a bandaid on everything. We get real solutions. They know the real target now and having the individuals, the employees, individual employees, making sure they're engaged because like Bowman said, they know the answer most of the time. And there's this thing called the iceberg of ignorance. Ever heard of that? Yeah. 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 Basically the people that know what's wrong are at the bottom. They know all the answers. They know how to fix it. The person with the checkbook to fund the fixes is at the top of the iceberg and they don't see it. It doesn't have a clue. They got a clue, but you know, if you're not very tactical and exactly how you're fixing things, you could miss the mark very easily. You know, so if. And that's when the Titanic runs into the iceberg. That's correct. There was someone saying, hey, this is a bad idea. We probably shouldn't be doing this the whole time. I don't remember the movie exactly. I have seen, it's funny, we have seen the Titanic used as a case study for human performance and where all the breakdowns were. And if you've seen the movie, there are so many spots in that movie where you're like, man, if they'd have just done that, this whole thing would have been avoided. If they'd have just done that, that's what we're talking about. The stars aligning or the breakdown in your defenses. Anybody listening to this, think about the last accident or injury you had. And I bet you could find two or three things that Mm -hmm. if we had just done this a little different, that we could have stopped it, that, you know, may or may not be related back to the teacher. You know, if we had, actually smoothed out that sharp edge if she had paid attention a little better. You know, there's several things that could have stopped what, you know, could be considered a minor injury, but oftentimes these things line up and allow, you know, major accidents and injuries to happen. And then we really start looking at what was the problem because now we're highly motivated to well, make sure that, we get this that, right. And that retro look, it costs you a whole lot more money than yeah. it does to go out and do it at the precursor level. I can fix behavior and organizational gaps fairly cheaply and without pain. But if I'm waiting to find them with an accident or I'm waiting to find them with a meltdown or I'm waiting to find them with, you know, a fire, that's going to cost me a lot of money and a lot of pain. Let me say this. You talked about the Bowman touched on this earlier, that there's a lot of people in a nuclear power plant looking at how the work is done because they're very process driven. You know, you have to follow the process to make sure that we get the same result over and over. Right. We want to make sure if you're going to make grandma's gumbo, 
you know, you want to do it. You want a recipe. You want it right. You want to stick to it. Do it every time. That's what a nuclear power plant is going to make you do. And the first question we get, or the first question he had, was, "How do you work like this? This seems so inefficient." But nuclear power is actually very efficient. Anybody that's got a generator, they have a measure of your efficiency called your capacity factor. It's like how much are you up and running, basically. You know, so nuclear power plants will be up and running. 82% of the time. And that's a phenomenal number in that, you know, for power generators, if you're working conventional, like a gas or coal fire plant or something like that, if you're hitting 82% capacity factor, you're getting those bonuses at the end of the year. You're in line for that promotion. That's an amazing efficiency because we're talking about safety and we're talking about accidents and injuries, but human performance, it's really about accuracy. And if we're doing things right and we're doing it repeatedly and over and over again, we're avoiding rework. We're building efficiencies into our processes. These things will also help benefit the company. So you're not, somebody had said one time, say we're slowing down, but we're kind of speeding up. I like to think about it how uh, like the army talks about when the platoon's coming in, moving in on an area that they need to take. They say slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Everybody knows their job. Yeah, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. We're going to do this without any hiccups. We're not going to get in a rush. We're going to do it very methodically. And when it's all said and done, we're probably going to get there quicker than if we all just ran around firing our guns like crazy and trying to figure out what was happening. Well, the irony of what you just said, just to go back in time, that phrase of you're slowing us down to speed us up came from Hendrix Motorsports, who is a NASCAR pit crew. So, I mean, we taught a NASCAR pit crew how to use human performance to actually shave time off of their pit stops. We've taught the police department in our own hometown how to use human performance to be more, I guess, accurate in the decisions they make and some of the calls they make, not teaching them how to shoot their weapon better. That's on the organization. But just thinking about things they get into and the things they see and how to process some of that, how to slow down and take into consideration what all could go wrong. We've seen this work in a lot of weird places that aren't traditional. Like you would never think we'd train a police department in human performance, but we have, you know, and so... You're right. It's really about slowing down to speed up, but it's also, and I think you're going to get there, you know, safety is kind of a byproduct of a better organization, right? So we focus on safety because that's a good thing to talk about. Everybody's everybody's got a concern about their own safety. Yeah. But really what we're talking about is efficiency, effectiveness, and quality. And I mean, even some of these things, I go back to in the early nineties when I was doing the ISO 9000 stuff for the oil and gas side and all the dimming philosophies we read and studied about quality this is that thing we were looking for. This human performance concept and the way it works is really what he was talking about, even back in the eighties and nineties, you know? So, well, I mean, think about it. if you make a mistake, obviously one of the consequences of that could be an accident or injury. Well, another consequence of that could be, I just wiped a million dollar piece of equipment. I, exactly. That's not going to show up on your OSHA recordables or your first aids or your TRIR or your dart, but there is a real cost when something like that That's happens, right. you know, and, and human performance helps to avoid those things too. We're not scrapping lots of product or a whole run of something that we're, you know, the widgets we're manufacturing because we are methodical and accurate in all the decisions and choices that we make. Again, safety is a byproduct. It is the most important byproduct. We'd never argue that, but it's not the whole of human performance within an organization. Well, for the listeners too, I would say there's two really key pieces of information to know is that the third leading cause of death is human error, medical error. $37.9 billion a year is wasted on human error. These are all things that are avoidable. 94% of vehicle accidents are attributed to human error. Great point. Which, by the way, in the remedy system, you have a whole 
section on driving, safe driving, yeah. right? Yeah, Human we, performance in driving. Yes, behavioral right. based That's right. uh, driving techniques. Yeah. Well, think about it. Your granddaughter is going to get a license. She will have the technical yes, know-how. help us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't live in the Houston area, so we're, <laughs> that's on you. But we have companies come to us and they say, we need some driver training. Can we get them in a simulator? And we said, well, have you thought about the behaviors? Because they are licensed. They took a test. They show that they have the knowledge. They have done a ride-along to get a CDL to make sure that they have the skill, the skill set and the skill yeah. set to do it. So we know the ability. they have the knowledge, they have the ability. So what's happening? Well, it's the behavior. You know, that's the behavior piece. So we get folks to address their driving concerns by looking at the behavior of driving. And a couple of fundamental things within that is oftentimes workers don't think about driving as part of the work. It's something we're going to do on the way to work. I'm going to hop in the truck. We're going to drive to the job site. And that's where work starts. And that's when I need to engage my brain and start thinking about what's unsafe and what the hazards are. When really it's you're about to get on the road. Most fatalities in business are traffic related. So we get them shifting that mindset to start considering that work, you know, driving is work. That is part of the work. We need to address it in that way. And what are the behaviors? Everybody knows don't text and drive, but that's a behavior. They have the knowledge, they have the ability to not text and drive, but they still do it because it's that behavior piece. Just like everybody knows I'm supposed to wear gloves when I handle equipment over 20 pounds or whatever the rule is at this particular organ. They know it, they have the ability but they don't do it. It's the same thing. And if we can bring people in and give them the tools to start applying these safe behaviors to their driving, we have done it time and time again. We've improved organizations driving performance, not by putting them in a simulator and teaching them that thing that they already know. It's like sending out that email. We found 10 people not wearing gloves today. So we're going to send out an email saying, hey, wear gloves. Okay. They knew it. You know, let's figure out why this is happening. Dave started to touch on it earlier about we don't care about the who or even really the what, but the why, you know, so we have to understand why certain things are happening to fix them from an organizational standpoint. The gloves, for example, organizations will come in and say, man, we've had a bunch of hand injuries. How do we address this? And we're like, well, how have you been addressing this? Well, we go out, we tell managers they got to do observations and we're focusing on gloves and we stand compile. Down, yeah, we have a stand them. down. Yeah. The managers go out and they come back and at the end of the month, we compile it and we say, we found 30 instances when people weren't wearing gloves and they should have been wearing gloves. I said, well, what do you do with that? We have a stand down. We send out an email. Maybe we put a little vague thread at the end of it. Next person, boy, you're in trouble. And I'm like, how's that work? I'm going to do my Dr. Phil for you. How's that working out for how's you? How's that working out? <laughs> yeah. Not at the what, end of the month, they do this yeah, thing, rin just rinse and repeat. Rinse and huh? repeat. Think about the waste of money and time yeah. and the loss of morale because I'm wearing my gloves. Why are you telling me again Why do I keep the hearing next this? month about me not wearing my gloves, but I do wear them? But so I, your point is the things we've uncovered yeah. is- Let's just say if you start to understand from a human performance process, we have to understand why these things are happening. Because out of that 30, you could have- 10 people that said, you know what? We have gloves, but they're only in smalls and I got these big banana hands. They don't even fit. Or we have cheap gloves that they're busted by. We had somebody literally, one of our coaches was out in the field. We do third-party safety oversight from a human performance standpoint, looking at the behaviors, not just compliance, but found a person not wearing gloves. And he goes, why aren't you wearing gloves? He goes, well, it's after 10. He goes, what do you mean it's after 10? He said, well, after 10 o'clock, they're already ruined. I can wear them for about four hours and then it's done, you know? Okay, so these don't work. So this is a person that wants to be compliant, but they can't. So let's say there's 10 of them that saying, I can't. They're not in the warehouse. They're not in free issue wherever you go get gloves. They're just not there. So that's not really a person problem. That's not really a behavior problem. That sounds like it's looking more like a supply chain problem. You start to uncover that, 
And then you think, well, what else don't we have there? Do we have the safety glasses? Do we have the high-vis gear? Do we have the earplugs? Do we have the hard hat? I mean, if we're missing gloves, we're probably missing some of these other things too. And you see, you find that ripple effect and you found one person not wearing gloves that gave you the insight that we might not be equipping our people as we should. And we've just solved a litany of problems as we start to pull that thread instead of just sending out a vague one. Of that 30, you know, we said 10 couldn't, you know, maybe we'll find uh, 10 that said, I didn't even know that was a rule. You know, I thought it had, you know, 50 pounds or, well, now we're doing a poor job with training. Well, if we didn't know glove requirements were a rule in this area, what else? What other rules don't we know? Didn't know I was supposed to back into my parking spot, you know, so we're doing a poor job of communicating. So again, you have those ripple effects where you can start to fix a lot of things and not just the thing you found. Let's say a handful of those folks are like, I know the rules. I'm equipped to do it. I just don't want to do it. I don't like the way gloves feel and I'm just the jerk. I'm non-compliant. Like the old, I'm not going to wear my seatbelt because. Yeah. yeah. Well, because the government's telling me I should. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm not going to do it just you know, out of my own civil disobedience there. But think about if we don't know this, think about the scenario we talked about before where we said, how do you handle this? Well, we send out an email and we have a stand down. Not only the people that are wearing the gloves are frustrated and a little bit disengaged, but now you've got this person who's like, man, I want to do it, but I can't. And I'm getting the same lecturing that the guy next to me who's like, can do it and he won't. Treating someone that can't the same way as treating someone that won't is very disheartening and you're not fixing the problem for either one of them. You're just rinse and repeat. Here's the same vague email and nothing gets fixed. And that's what, again, human performance, there's a lot of training behind this and we do have a lot of training to help these organizations understand these concepts so they can start to really drive at what the real problems are and not just play what we call it uh, finding the source of the sparks rather than running around trying to put out fires. You okay, know. so this training is available how? We have it online predominantly. That's when we start to learn the fundamentals because you have to have a knowledge of human performance to really before you can start applying it. So to get that knowledge in there, we found that doing the online training, get it in English and Spanish. They're micro learnings. It's not, I mean, yeah. this sounds like a ton of information, but it's really done. We do it over time. Yeah, over time yeah. and it's small bites and it's progressive. So you learn a little bit more out of each time you do a piece of it. We could do classroom. We do classroom training as well. Yeah. We just don't find that as cost effective for either side. And we try to keep this very low priced because we know we're competing with other things that may be cheaper. But the online piece is, is absolutely a beneficial thing because you can take it anytime you want to. You can take it at night. You can take it on the weekend. You can take it whenever you want to take it. You can take it as many times as you need to take it. And there's sustainability built in. So it's more of a, like I said, progressive learning thing in micro chunks. So you're not just getting blasted like we're blasting you right yeah, now. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know. We're talking about a lot of science here. We're Imagine about- if this were 60 small podcasts that we're doing right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. That's how you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, the sustainability piece of it is a big part of it. We also have job aids that go along with it. We try to make this as simple as possible to make it applicable today. What we never wanted to do was be the guy that shows up on Friday with a PowerPoint. And on Monday, you go, what did they tell me last Friday? Let's just keep doing what we've been doing. We don't want to be a flavor of the month. I don't want to be a program. I don't want to be a buzzword. Like you said earlier, we don't want that. We want this to be a culture change that your organization can embrace and see benefit from immediately. That's why we built it this way. We built it very simply made to where it makes sense to anybody that picks it up and runs with it. And application is a huge, huge part of this whole thing. If you can't apply what we taught you on Friday, on Monday, we're failing you. So we have to give you something to be able to do we're not doing the training on Monday and you're back out in the field. So we do a lot of also in field instruction 
while you're doing your work. So not telling you how to put a pipe together or trying to tell you how to drill a hole, but standing there and talking about, did you think about this? Did you think about using your two-minute drill card and your job aids and how to apply self-checking? It's something as simple as, hey, I saw you check your pockets for your keys before you locked the door. You self-checked. We appreciate that. Make it applicable to what that person is doing so they can learn how to do it on their own, basically. Yeah. You can get a bunch of ideas in your head, but if, what do you do with that? Well, and you guys have made it simple. You mentioned about the tools and stuff, and you've thrown out a few words like self-check and peer review and that sort of thing. You actually have this kind of neatly summarized on what you call your two-minute drill card, right? Right. Yeah. It's credit card size. It can go on a lanyard, go in your pocket, go in a wallet, whatever, a little badge sleeve or something like that, that helps guide people into how they approach their work. It's reminders to, you know, hey, look around the job site 360. Do we know, you know, what policy or procedure is driving this? Are we following that? Listing the tools. It's a card that's front and back, but understanding everything around that. I mean, it's simple. It's just a little simple reminder. But understanding everything that goes into that is where you have to get into the training. You could pick this up and just infer what some of this means and it would have some value. But if you really understood what we're looking at, from an organizational standpoint and from the individual, that's where you really start to move the needle. That's where you start to really get the results that you're looking for within the organization. Actually, when I first met you guys, you showed me that two-minute drill card, and I kind of frowned at it. As soon as I looked at the HP Ready course that you're talking about, that one-time online, because you've got a one-time online course, Mm -hmm. then you've also got a two-year subscription online subscription thing, but this one kind of introduction, you call it HP Ready. And as I recall, it's not that long. It's right at 42 minutes. I was going to say it was less than an hour, I remember. And as soon as I watched that, then I picked up that two-minute drill card and I said, oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and all this, here I am, you know, frantically trying to take notes, you know, on this thing. And then once I saw the whole thing and then picked up that two-minute drill card, I spent this is perfect. Think about it this way. You're not going to take a pilot's checklist and go fly an airplane. But it means something to them when they have it because they have the training that goes behind it. When they before they check that box, they say, "I have the context for what right, that is." Right, exactly. So the car—it's not the whole of flying is in that checklist. The whole of working safely isn't on that card. But having the knowledge behind all that and having the context behind that to know how to properly use this to guide the work—you know—to safety and efficiency is what's critical and important. Well, we call it being an automatic. Sometimes when you drive down the road and you don't even realize how you got to a certain place, like three miles down the road, you go, man, I don't remember doing that. That's being an automatic. Your brain's kind of just a neutral, you know? And what this does for you is it helps you to ask yourself a question. The best way to get out of automatic is to ask yourself a question. Matter of fact, that's how you got out of automatic when you asked that question driving down the road. Exactly. I just seven <laughs> miles. I don't remember where I just went. How do I end up when at the You ask yourself a question to get yourself back cognitively focused on what you're doing. And that's what these little two minute drill card job aids do. It's about planning the work and working the plan. Just like Dave said, it's like a pilot checklist. It's just a way to remind yourself this is the things you need to think about. Well, guys, for everybody out there listening, this is great stuff. You can discover more about Knowledge Vine and human performance by finding in the show notes the the website link, and there's other contact information. I know I've been putting in the show notes your contact, your LinkedIn contact information, and of course there's the website. Or anybody can simply reach out to me, and I can hook them up. Well, with, we, with we you guys. So go on Amazon too. We have a book called Remedy. It's a human perform moving culture with the human performance. So you can search that. We also 
help with what's called a human performance community of practice. Every two weeks, there's a one hour virtual, it's an online it's a Zoom webinar. meeting, basically. Yeah. It's a webinar. You can go through our website and look for that human performance community of practice. Just sign up for it. We're not selling emails. It's not a marketing thing. It's just strictly for people that want to learn more about you know, human performance and organizational performance. And it's a wide ranging topics from, we had one lesson about brain chemistry and the times of day circadia rhythms and when you should be eating starches and things, you know, for peak performance, you know, talk about operators in a control room, you know, I guess any facility, you know. There's a wealth of information. And when you go on a website, folks, find the learn link on the website and it'll say COP. Also on the learn link, will be information about the HPAC conference, right? Tell us about that. This will be our second annual Human Performance in Action Conference. We're big on, again, I don't want to give you a bunch of stuff to talk about that you can't do on Monday. So we're motivated to always have some way to teach you how to use this a better way, getting practitioners in the same room to help with that, opening up the whole conference to people that want to learn more about human performance. It's going to be the week of April 17th here in Houston, Texas at the Hyatt downtown. And uh, Centerpoint and Energy are going to be participating in that. And we want to bring an open up to the oil and gas community to please look into this and be a part of it. We'd love to get you guys in the room and the building and have these conversations face to face and maybe learn from each other. Yeah, I guess the website is probably the best place to go for all these. You can find a link to the book. You can find a link to the HPAC. And you can also find a link to sign up for the Human Performance Community of Practice, the biweekly webinars, and also the previous Community of Practice episodes or recordings recording they're on there too so even if you don't want to hop in live just click and you can watch and get some learning learn a little bit more about human performance and how it can help your organization absolutely well guys thanks for taking the time profusely thank you for sponsoring the show (laughs) glad to be a part of it russell and profusely thank all of you out there for listening please uh, tell your friends to listen post us on linkedin and on all your other social media leave us a review on itunes or spotify or we now actually have a real convenient way in the show notes you can click this review link leave us a review we really appreciate some of the nice comments and things that you say and, and also some ideas you have to help us improve the show Please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.